Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 15, the very last part of it, verses 36 through 41. You know, I I think, uh, and I don't know, maybe you can help me with this, but it seems to me that in our generation, our time, our, our culture, that something that is longed for desperately is authenticity. Am I right? We, uh, we have a tendency to put facades on. We have a tendency to, to have uh, just this mask on. How many people asked you today how you're doing? <laughs> if nobody asked you how you're doing, I feel sorry for you. But, you know, I mean, how many people asked you how you're doing? And, and you didn't go through necessarily all the different factors in your life that maybe you're struggling with, did you? You didn't say, oh, my goodness, let me tell you and pull out the list. You said, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm great, everything's fine. Wonderful day. Oh, I love the snow. Hey, I'm sore because I was shoveling, right? That's what Tim told me. So you can hit Tim when you go past him and see if he flinches a little bit. Authenticity. I think we're starved for it. I think we're sick of the sound bites. I think we're tired of being told one thing when we know there's something really wrong it's interesting because in this particular passage, we have a, a picture of something that <laughs> normally we don't have a lot, of, a lot of insight into. Apostles fighting. What? In the early church? No. Couldn't be. Do you realize Barnabas and Paul are both called apostles? Uh, I don't think Barnabas was one of the twelve. I think a case could certainly be made that Paul is. But regardless, they are men of faith, men of God. They are leaders within the early church that have been used by God in a tremendous way. They've risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. They've proclaimed Christ in regions that many would never want to go to. And yet here we find that they are divided bitterly. That's interesting. Every Baptist should show up to this one, right? Because that's what we do, isn't it? I'm kidding. Three things this morning. Shepherd's heart, a sharp divide, and a singular focus. And I, I think this is an interesting passage in many different ways. First of all, I think in the midst of this, overall, for each and every one of us, there's a reminder here that we need to carefully stay focused on the Lord and His calling on our lives. We need to make sure that we are laser-focused in on what God has called us to. And anything other than that is a distraction. Are we? Do we even know what God's called us to? Or are we getting tied up and tripped up in all the things of this world? Are we, are we stumbling as a result of different things that are taking place? Are we upset? We're tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Somebody comes in and starts to tell us one thing, and boy, we go all the way over here. And then suddenly that doesn't seem to work, so we shift all the way over here. Or are we laser focused in on the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Is he our purpose? Is he our life? Is he our focus? Is he everything? We just sang it. Do we really believe it? Or are we getting distracted by stuff that really doesn't matter, eternally speaking? May sound good, may look good, but really isn't the main issue. I think Paul did this in in an amazing way. 
I really do. I think his calling, he was lasered in on it, and nothing was going to distract him from it. Look at the first part of this, verse 36, a shepherd's heart. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. <laughs> I like that. I, I mean, if, now come on. You got to have a little bit of a sense of humor in this, right? If Paul came to you after going through all the stuff that they had just gone through and said, hey, let's go back through these places and see how everybody is. We're going to have potlucks. It's going to be fun. Man, you should have tasted the pork they had in this one city. Barbecue. Unbelievable. Come on, Barnabas. Let's go. I mean, if it had been me, I'd have looked at Paul and said, I think you're off your rocker, bro. I think you've lost your focus. I don't feel like getting thrown into jail again. I don't want to be called Zeus, and I don't want to see you called Hermes. I really couldn't care less. I think he had a shepherd's heart. I think his concern was for these young churches, these Gentile believers. And I think ultimately there's, there's two different things to glean out of this. First of all, where they had been. Rem- let's remember a little bit of what they went through. And secondly, what had they just gone through that would have caused Paul concern for them? They just came out of the Jerusalem council. There was just an attack on grace against the Gentile believers, which made up most of the places that they had visited. And so Paul was deeply concerned about their walk with the Lord, with their belief in Christ and their understanding of grace. And he wanted to go back and strengthen them in it, encourage them in it. If you go back and just take a real quick journey with me, Acts chapter 13, verse 6, and I'm going to run through this, okay? So if you don't turn fast enough, it's all right. We'll get to the end together one way or the other, okay? But Acts chapter 13, 6, if you remember, they started off on their missions journey. The first thing they, they ran into was this guy, Elymas, who was trying to stand in the way of Paul and the message of the gospel. And in verses 9 through 10, Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze on him because this guy is trying to deceive the proconsul Sergius Paulus. He's trying to take the gospel message that Paul and Barnabas are sharing and, and shift it to something different. And Paul fixes his gaze on him and says to him, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. Wow. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And if you remember what happened, this this man became blind and he had to be led around. What happened? Sergio Paulus was saved out of this. He believed. He saw what had happened. He was listening to the message of the gospel, and he saw the power of God through the apostle Paul, and he believed. And we move on after that tremendous miracle in Acts chapter 13 and verses 14 and following. They go on from Perga. They arrive at Poseidon Antioch on the Sabbath day. They go into the synagogue. They sit down. They're going to share the gospel with the people that are there. The people begin to beg Paul and Barnabas for them to speak the next Sabbath about the things that they had shared. They went through the Old Testament. They shared about Christ and the Messiah. Many of the God-fearing proselytes, those are Gentiles, many of the Jews, followed Paul and Barnabas. They continue to encourage them to walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The next Sabbath, in verse 44, the whole city assembles, nearly the whole city, to hear the word of the Lord. But what happens? The Jews see the crowds. They're filled with jealousy. They begin contradicting the things spoken by Paul. They were blaspheming. Now, the Gentiles began to rejoice. But what happens in verse 50? The Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So we go from a tremendous miracle with regard to this magician, so-called magician, Sergio Paulus being saved, they go on to the next city, they're received, many people believe, they're encouraged to walk in the grace of God, but the Jews rise up and they begin to incite persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drive them out of their district. In Acts chapter 14, it it ratches it up a little bit uh, more. The heat is turned up. Because God is using Paul and Barnabas in a way that his glory is being revealed through them. And so you can see how each moment begins to be a little bit more difficult along the way. They go to Iconium. They enter the synagogue, which was their practice. A large number of people believe. And then the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Now, what's interesting is in verses 4 and following, the city's divided. Some side with the Jews, some with the apostles. And in verse 5, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled. We're not just talking about, man, we're going to kick you out now. Now we're talking about, we're going to stone you to death. We're going to kill you because of what you're saying. They flee, they go to Lystra. There's a man who has no strength in his feet. He's been lame from his mother's womb from birth. The Lord uses them to heal this man. And the crowd see what happens. They begin to think these guys are like the gods that have come and visited. And they begin to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. They begin to try to worship him. The, the priests of Zeus begin to bring into the city sacrifices for them. And Paul and Barnabas are distraught about this. No, 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 no. We're, we're men just like you. The fickleness of people. In verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They've heard what's going on. And they're pursuing Paul and Barnabas. They win over the crowds, and what do they do now? They don't just threaten. They stone him, and they drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow. And Paul says to Barnabas, come on, let's go back. (laughs) Let's go visit these people. Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? Not only had they undergone severe persecution in these cities, but They obviously, with the whole Jerusalem council, had undergone a severe threat to their very message, which is the gospel of grace. They were courageous in going back. They were trusting the Lord with their very lives. They were clearly deeply concerned about the strength of the churches doctrinally due to the attack on grace. They were shepherds. They were shepherds. They were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been called to what they were doing, and they were willing to risk their lives for it. 
So at the onset of this entire thing, you, you see that Paul and Barnabas come together. They've had some amazing experiences together, and they want to go back. Well, in verse 37, Acts 15, there's a sharp divide. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Acts 13.13 tells us when Mark left, they're on their first missionary journey. It says, now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Say that fast ten times. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Do you catch that? John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He says that Mark had deserted them. It literally means stood away from them. It's very clear what Paul is saying here. He left us because of the work. He didn't go with us to do the work. He deserted us. He stood away from us. We can't take him again. Now, I think there's different ways of looking at this. Some people fault Paul, and they say, well, he was in sin, and they fault Barnabas. Well, maybe he was in sin. I don't, I don't see that necessarily. I'm certainly not the Holy Spirit that understands what was going on in their hearts. But I think there's several different things that may have taken place here, and I think actually it's a bit of a combo I think Paul was concerned that Mark would do the same thing and therefore be a distraction. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He already deserted us. The implication is he's going to do it again. The second thing is, and I think this is Paul's shepherd heart, but I think he may have been concerned that Mark was not yet ready to go because of the persecutions that may be coming. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? It wasn't just, well, I don't want him, uh, he's not going to be useful to me. It was, oh, Mark, I don't think Mark is ready. And it may be detrimental to his faith because he may do the same thing over again and he may never recover from it. I think it's a combination of both of those things. That's my thought. What we do know is they had a sharp disagreement. And the word sharp disagreement literally means a stirring up. There was anger. Uh, They were provoked. Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with anybody? I know you would never do that. I understand that, right? (laughs) Really? I mean, aren't there times where when we really passionately believe about something and we think this is the right way to go, that we have sharp disagreement, that we're provoked with one another? I've never experienced that at Hoffentown. I can just tell you that right now, right? No, I think we're passionate about what we believe. And I think we sincerely desire to follow the Lord. And there are times where we have a disagreement about the direction. You know, one of the things I'm really grateful for in that is that God's sovereign. Aren't you? I'm thankful that the Lord is the one who's in charge of building up his church. And I'm thankful that the Lord can be trusted no matter what. No matter what. (laughs) 
I think it's really interesting to me to watch this because in the midst of this, there's some things we learn kind of at the end of the story. And if you walk through Paul's writings and you actually put them in order towards the end of his life and towards the end of his missionary journeys, the things that he wrote there, you can see certain things coming up about Mark. In Colossians chapter 4.10, we learn something, and I think it's an important piece of the puzzle in terms of Barnabas and what was going on here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Now listen to this. Also Barnabas' cousin, Mark. Oh, did you catch that? Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, what does Paul say to do? Welcome him. Isn't that cool? So we kind of find something out. Barnabas is going, hey, we need to take John Mark. Paul's going, no way, he deserted us. He left the work. He didn't want to go with us. And Barnabas has a family issue here. He also has a gifting issue here. Philemon, verses 23 and 24, says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. My fellow workers. Mark is lumped into this. All of a sudden you see Mark coming back into this picture a little bit. 2 Timothy 4.11, the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred. He says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Oh, that's kind of a cool picture of restoration, isn't it? Peter himself wrote about Mark in 1 Peter 5.13. And he's writing, he says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And he says this, So does my son, Mark. Interesting. Mark had deserted, but ultimately he was won back. Ultimately he came back into this. We know that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Peter was the main source for it. It's interesting, isn't it? Have you ever bailed out or deserted the work of the Lord? Have you ever gotten frustrated? Maybe you've gotten fearful. Maybe things got in your way and you tripped, you stumbled, and you went, ah, I don't think I can do that. You ever done that? Hey, folks, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God can restore that. Mark's a great example. Well, there's a singular focus. So there's a shepherd's heart, a sharp divide, a singular focus. The rest of verse 39 says, And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed, which means given, by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What is it that ultimately caused the division between these two godly men? who had spent a lot of time together, who had been persecuted together, who had seen God work in a very, very special way. I think, ultimately, that it was their gifting and their calling. Barnabas' gift, if you look back at Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and following, we find something out. This is the first time that Barnabas is mentioned. It says, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, hang on to that Cyprian moment, right? 
who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we have this picture of Barnabas. His name is Joseph. He's of Cyprian birth. He's a Levite who is living in a Gentile world. He's from Cyprus. But they called him Barnabas. Why? Because he's an encourager. He's a phenomenal encourager. Paul's calling in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. If you remember, he's on the road to Damascus. The Lord meets with him in a very spectacular way. Paul's blinded. And the Lord says this about him. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Son of encouragement. He's going to take the message to the Gentiles and he's going to suffer for it. See, the gifting and the calling, we've got, a, we've got a little bit of a discrepancy here. Barnabas looks at Mark and he knows that he's his cousin. He probably sees that he's down. He knows this is going to impact him. What does he do? He takes him home. He takes him home. He takes him to family. And I think there's a beautiful picture in that. Mark just needed to be in familiar settings. Mark just needed to be with people that loved him, that were encouraging him. Mark needed to be lifted up. He had done something that was wrong, and now he was being told by the Apostle Paul, you can't come with me because you already deserted the work. And Barnabas puts his arm, and he sees something in him, and he knows that God's able to restore him, and he takes him back home. And he spends some time with family. <laughs> you ever feel like you needed to spend some time with family? You just needed to be in a safe arena where people, no matter whether it's really true or not, technically, they tell you they're the greatest thing in the world. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. You may not be able to, to meet or hit a note, but you're our American idol. <laughs> That's all right sometimes. For Mark, I think it was therapeutic. For Mark, I think it won him. Paul's committed to this work. He's absolutely focused in on what God has told him to do. I think it's interesting to see how Barnabas had encouraged Paul. Barnabas came alongside of Paul back in Acts chapter 9. Paul had been persecuting the church. He had the road to Damascus experience. He had been saved. Everybody's fearful of him. And in Acts 9.27, it says Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. There's Barnabas. Nobody else goes to him. Everybody's scared of him. Barnabas goes, Paul, you're coming with me. And he introduces him to the apostles and tells them what exactly had happened. Love that. Barnabas is actually the one instrumental in bringing Paul to Antioch to teach and encourage the Gentile believers. Acts chapter 11, verses 22 and following, uh, the, the Gentiles were being saved. News about these Gentile believers were reaching the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they send Barnabas off to Antioch to go find out what's going on. He arrives. He witnesses the grace of God. He rejoices. He begins to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And then in verse 25, we find this. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. <laughs> and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And in, for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Barnabas went to Antioch 
And he begins to look at what God's doing there. He rejoices. He says, hey, keep on going, folks. And oh, by the way, I've got somebody perfect for you. And he goes to Tarsus. He grabs Saul and says, Saul, we got a ministry right here that's set up right for you. It's exactly in what God has called you to do. Paul comes, spends a whole year there teaching. And ultimately, that's the church that sent Paul and Barnabas on their missionary trip. Barnabas is the one who did this, the encourager. Barnabas clearly went with Paul on his first missionary journey in Acts 13 too. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Isn't that cool? All along the way, Barnabas has been alongside of Paul. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Encourage, encourage, encourage. And all of a sudden, there comes a moment where Paul's ready to move out without Barnabas. God raises somebody up that Barnabas needs to encourage. Mark. Barnabas takes Mark. They go back to Cyprus. Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God, Silas was right there in Antioch. Paul says, I want to take Silas with me, and they leave. And they go back and start visiting all the churches that they had been at, and what are they doing? Strengthening the churches. Exactly what God had called Paul to be about. I think it's kind of interesting, uh, just as a, a side note a little bit, he doesn't say growing the churches. Folks, you can't grow unless you're strong. It's really that simple. If you're weak, you can't grow. He spent his time strengthening the churches. What was he strengthening them in? I think he was strengthening them in the word of God. He was strengthening him. What, what is grace? What does it mean to walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit? How are we focused in like a laser in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? What has he done for us? Who is he and who are we in Christ? And as a result of that, we grow in Christ. God transforms us. And as a result, we are stronger in the faith. And therefore, God through us begins to reveal his love in the way that we treat one another. And the world begins to to see that and they listen to our testimony and they go oh it's not just religion there's something special about that he was strengthening the churches it means to confirm them to establish them to place them on firm ground folks that's that's what we want to see we want to see you strengthened i want to be strengthened i want to grow in christ and i want to grow in christ with one another with each of you, because we're a family, we're a body of believers. We need to make sure that we stay focused on the Lord and what he's called us to do and not get distracted by other stuff. I think not only individuals need to be carefully focused on the Lord, but I think churches do as well. Our vision statement is to introduce every individual to Christ in order to know him and follow him. We want to introduce people to Christ because God can change their lives. To know him, not just in in an intellectual sense, but to really understand who God is and the love that he has for every individual on this planet. 
That he sent his son to die so that each and every one of us might be forgiven and that we might have a personal relationship with him. And as a result of what God has done, that we may know that we have eternal life. That it's not just a wish. We're not worried about what happens afterwards. We know that there's something better awaiting us. Let me just share with you a little thing in terms of what we're praying through and what we believe God's leading us to be a part of and I've shared this with some of the leaders. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a, a full leadership meeting, and we're going to walk through some things. Right? So if your leaders get with your pastor, your director, your, the leaders in your area of ministry, and talk to them about it. You know what? One of the things I'm really concerned about, talking about have a, having a zero focus, I'm very concerned about the biblical illiteracy of, of our uh, culture. Aren't you? You, you can see it all over the place. You start asking people about, what, what does this mean in the word of God? Or do you remember this story? Or do you understand, you know, who Adam is? What do you believe about gay marriage? Uh, we can go through this list. People are all over the place. All over the place. People that claim to be Christians are all over the place. People that are Christians are all over the place. So one of the fancy words, if you want to put it that way, is the meta-narrative. It's the, the big picture story of the Bible. Man, do you realize that today the Bible is still the most purchased book ever? It's amazing. I would be willing to bet that everybody here has actually more than one Bible in your home. Am I right? Do we believe it? Folks, we are in the end times. There's no question about that. The FBI director got up and in various ways made it very clear that in every state they are tracking people who are radicalizing. In every state! Do we understand the moment that we're in? Do we understand the amazing opportunity that we have to be used of the Lord to spread the gospel through our lives, through what we say? And are we willing to follow God in it? So I'm concerned about biblical illiteracy. I've been concerned about that for a long time. So what we're going to do, and don't laugh, next year, you understand what I mean. I'm not, like, you know, putting you down. <laughs> I'm going to preach through the whole Bible in one year. Wait for it. Wait for it. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> okay, I know. We're, we're, we'll have a good time with it, okay? I've actually already worked it out, and, and it's being refined right now. There's a lot of detail in this. I want to make sure of three things. I want to make sure that our leadership is together that we're in the same direction. We may not all agree on everything, color of the carpet kind of stuff. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to emphasizing grace, walking by faith, when it comes to sharing our testimony as the Lord leads and enables us to do so, we are lockstep absolutely together in this, and we are in prayer that God would lead us in the midst of the time that we are in because we have a culture that is desperate for authenticity. They want to know that it's not just about us. 
They want to know that it literally is about Christ and that we really believe that. I absolutely guarantee that's the fact. So there's a, there's a coming together. There's a solidifying of the team, the same direction. There's a focus here. There's, there's a one mind. I also want the body to be equipped. I want the body to be equipped, and I want it to be in specific ways because I think we are in a, a specific time within our culture, creation. And we can argue about day-age theories, and we can argue about, well, was it uh, one day that the Lord created? But, I, I, folks, the fact is God created it. God created it. So it's important for our students to know that. It's important for our kids to know that because they need to know that they're just not sludge that came out of some ocean from somewhere and they have no purpose in life. It's indescribable. I can do whatever I want because it doesn't really matter in the end anyway. I'm concerned about marriages. I'm concerned about the definition of marriage. We want to see the body equipped in the role of men and women and and marriage and what that means. What about the trustworthiness of Scripture? Do we really believe that this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God? I do. We may not know every little bit about it, but we believe that this is God's Word to us. And if that's the case, it changes things. Because we don't have the right to go live whatever way we want anymore. We have to come to the Lord, who's the author of this thing, and say, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And Lord, here's our lives because that's the most reasonable service of worship. Right? The equipping deals with our Christian American heritage. And folks, the idea that this country was not established on the word of God or founded on the word of God is nonsense. And we have got to stand up against that because it is not true. Man, I get bitter watching the news these days, don't you? I mean, you listen to this stuff. I mean, I could go on and on about that, and I will not. But you get the point. I'm talking to wall builders, David Barton, about coming and doing a seminar for us. Um, I'd love to see him be a part of this. What about Israel and the church? How do we view Israel and the church? Did the church replace Israel? Is God's promises to Israel done? How does that impact our view of the end times? What are our views on the end times? So when we take the whole Bible, we're going to take these threads of truth in the midst of all of it and connect it in a way that we want to see our leaders come together. We want to see our body equipped and strengthened. That's what Paul was doing. He's going and strengthening the churches in very specific ways. We want to make sure that we are together on these things because, folks, we're under attack and we need to be unified now more than ever. I would suggest the third issue here is we want to serve our community. We want to serve our community. How do we serve our community? How do we present Christ to our community? How can we come alongside of our community and say, my friend, what's God doing in your life? What's happened in your life? How can we help you? How can we pray for you? How can we share with you the hope that we have, the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ? 
So we're going to have a couple different task forces doing specific things. We're going to prepare this year in order to get ready for next year to make sure that we have been prayed up, that we're following the Lord in this. This is not an achieved thing. This is not what we're going to do in order to show everybody how great we are. This is a Lord. Here we are. Use us. What would you have us to be about? How can we serve the community? How can we invite them in to the story of the Bible to make sure that they recognize that there is hope? That in the midst of all this chaos, that there is a God who is on his throne and he invites each and every one of us to come and have a personal relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to be praying through that this year and we're going to get ready for that. And I would invite you to pray with us in that, to be in prayer about that. How would the Lord use us to minister to the community? We're going to have K-group materials to go deeper from the things that I'm saying up here. The music ministry, Easter and Christmas are going to coincide with this. We're going to put this whole thing together. Folks, I'm pumped. I could stay up here for about six hours talking about this because I've been praying about this for a long time, okay? And praise the Lord. Listen, let's stay focused. Stay focused. Don't get caught up in the noise. God is the one who leads us. God's the one who guides us. God is the one who will take us where he knows that he wants us to go. The question is, are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to walk with him in that? Are we willing to say yes to him? My prayer is that not only are we strengthened, not only do we grow in our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Christ and with one another, but that we see many people come to know Christ. I believe the harvest is ripe. It is white. There are so many people. Steph and I ran into a young guy at Cracker Barrel, and he's questioning things. He's got questions about stuff. Folks, people like that are everywhere. The question is, are we willing to say yes to the Lord and say, Lord, here's our lives. Use us for your honor, for your glory. Are we willing as a body of believers to come together and say, here's the main things. We're going to follow Christ in it and walk with him in it and trust him with the results because God is good and he's good all the time. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.